Hey everyone, we want to welcome all our deadly friends to Dead to Rights, the podcast. Here we are at Season 1, Episode 10, The Melancholy Fog Harvester. I'm your host, Donna Carrick, and we've got a terrific show for you this week with author, professional editor, and Renaissance woman, Tony Rakestraw of Rakestraw Book Designs. Together with her husband, John Rakestraw, Tony has been a vital part of today's writing community for years. Also today, I'm going to read for you from a different kind of short story, a story of heart and whimsy by my own talented husband, Alec Carrick, titled The Melancholy Fog Harvester. There's something to be said for a foggy evening. Take a city stroll with me into the magic of melancholy. As I finalize this week's episode and ready it for airing, it's a gorgeous day in Toronto. March 3rd, the sky is a delectable shade of blue, and we've been blessed with some of the mildest late February, early March weather I've ever witnessed. The world may well have gone mad, and most of the time I'm convinced it has, but today is indeed a gift. It's one I can appreciate fully from my sound room, overlooking the trees and the yard. Thank you for joining me once again. The community of readers and writers that we share is precious. We are the pioneers of our modern age. We will be looked upon by our descendants as trailblazers, storm riders of the New Age media. Kindle, Audible, Smashwords, Print on Demand, these are all terms that were until lately unheard of, and yet here we are, readers, writers, publishers, and producers, mastering this wave of technology together to create and disseminate art. And with that, I bring you The Melancholy Fog Harvester by Alec Carrick from the collection Four Scoops is Over the Top, Carrick Publishing. May 14th, 2011. Evening's end was nearing, and I'd run out of milk and snacks. Besides, I wanted some fresh air. That's how it came about I was on my way to the local Daisy Mart before it closed at 10 p.m. You don't get fog in the city much anymore. Too much traffic. There's an excess of thermal currents from the abundance of people, moving vehicles, and general busy rush to keep temperatures on a more even keel. So, when one does encounter it, the moment can be special. This was just such an occasion. The temperature at that time of year was ticking over from the winter's frostiness to spring's balmier breezes. The rain-soaked grass from earlier in the day lay under the caress of a blanketing warmth. Particles of air that had formerly been invisible were now rendered substantive. If I left the car in the garage, the journey from my townhouse to the local variety store entailed a short walk of only a quarter mile. It was usually a pleasant enough excursion. I'd jaunt up the roadway in my complex then make a sharp, bright turn parallel to the public thoroughfare heading south. A sidewalk ran along the base of a five-foot fence, marking the edge of my neighbor's backyards. At the bottom of the block was a crossing at a traffic light, 
leading to a mini mall and my destination. I could make the trek in my sleep. In fact, that's more or less what I had been doing of late, ever since my former live-in girlfriend decamped from my house. My mood had turned sour with the continuing lack of success in my artistic career. My frustration with lack of recognition was sending my emotions on a roller coaster ride. That's what she said. My begging her to stay got me nowhere. Her final words echoed. Don't bother pleading with me anymore. I'm moving out to get my head straight. But you know we'll always be friends. In fact, in reviewing my dealings with her, the word don't came up so often I'd begun to think of her name as don't. I couldn't get her voice out of my head. Don't start with me again. Don't you dare. Don't bother trying to explain. Don't touch me. It had become a compulsion, going over and over our old arguments. My mind was in a fog as thick as any literal fog. I knew very well my bitter reflections were my way of coping. I truly missed her and was unsure I'd ever find contentment again. I was alone, walking along the pathway in my reverie, until, in the distance, a smoky shape appeared. Embodied in the form was onrushing locomotion of questionable intent. Within seconds it was upon me, and I was able to bring the image into focus. I could make out a man riding a bicycle, dressed in what appeared to be a Burberry overcoat. He drew up to my position, stopped, and dismounted. Aging, scruffy of appearance, with a goatee, mustache, and tangled dark hair, he had the appearance of someone with whom I might not wish to be friendly. When he signaled a desire to talk, I was at first wary with my guard up. But when he spoke, his voice was mellifluous, in a lower register, and kind. He asked me how I liked the show. What show? I was in doubt as to what he meant. Had we both been watching the same television program that evening? How would he know what I was viewing? Was it just a guess? Or was he a peeping Tom roaming the area, surreptitiously looking through uninvited windows? He pointed down the street, the lights, the fog, the magic. Of course, it was spectacular, and I said so. He smiled. I'm always gratified to hear that, he said. The words slipped out. Are you taking credit for it? I said the question to make small talk, in no way taking him seriously. Of course, he said. I've been doing it forever. I should be pretty good by now, he said. Uh-oh, a nut, I thought. There was a six-story senior's home immediately behind the townhouse complex in which I lived. I knew it to be more of a residence than an institution. Was this one of the delusional inmates out for an evening spin? It certainly is beautiful. There's no denying it, I said. Watch, I'll show you something, he said. 
he pulled a foot-long bow out from an interior pocket in his greatcoat. Holding it in front of himself like a wand, he started stirring. I looked in the direction he was facing. Maybe it was a trick of the eyes. Maybe I was tired, hungry, and lightheaded. After all, I was on the way to the store for nourishment. Maybe I had a cold and my sinuses were squeezing my optic nerves in some new and sight-altering way. Maybe it was the time of year, the hour of the day, or the stage of my life, newly separated and alone again, that was making me susceptible. In any event, the air started to swirl. The colors that had been impressive before now leapt and flashed. Bright greens, yellows and reds, along with ochre whites, all mixed as if in a paint pot. Try as they might, they never melded. They held their own identities. They shot out sparkles and flares of brilliance. Their luminescence expanded, then retreated, gathered strength and pulsed harder in successive waves. The periphery of my vision glowed with embers. Wow! I couldn't help but say it. Had he slipped me a drug? No way. There was still a three-foot separation between us. Okay, I'd play along. So what are you, the master of fog or something? That's a pretty good description, yes, he said. Funny, I would have thought of you as dressed in a top hat and tails, strolling the streets of England in the 1800s. That was my all-time favorite milieu, I have to admit. One thing I've come to learn, though, is there's a time and place for everything. That time has passed. I guess it was on account of the switchover from coal-burning stoves to other less polluting fuels. That's what the scientists would have you believe, but it had as much to do with unfortunate circumstances in my own life as anything else. Did this guy have a big ego or what? But he dripped charm. I couldn't refrain from being drawn in. Do you want to talk about it, I asked? No, it would bore you. Consider me a willing audience. No. I know people can't be bothered with stories like mine anymore. That's too bad. I tried to show consideration. You bet. People don't stop and admire my work as much as they used to. What exactly is it you do, I asked. I'm a fog harvester. As if I hadn't known before, now I was sure he was wacko. But so what? I wasn't exactly on an even keel myself. What do you harvest? I asked. Surely it's obvious. I could detect layers of meaning in the phrase. Regret, concern, playful humor. No, sorry, I said. I don't quite get it. Mood. I harvest mood. Of course you do. Indeed, what else would a fog harvester cultivate as a crop other than mood? You're very good at it, I said. I know. I'm a professional at distilling, fermenting, nurturing, and prolonging fog-induced moods. 
Caught up in his spell, I had to hear more. You say people are no longer interested in your work, as they used to be. If that's the case, why do you still do it, I asked. I'm an artist. An artist has to do what an artist has to do, he replied. Under the street lamps, I thought I detected some extra moistening of his eyes. That makes you sad, I queried. No, it was the word, he said. What word? Do. Again, I was lost in the conversation. Even in the gloom, it must have shone on my face. Do is the love of my life, he said. We used to be inseparable. A natural pairing like two peas in a pod. I'd sprinkle her with affection, and she'd spring to life in the morning. I'd asked for it. I was apparently going to pay the price. The story of this man's melancholy was preparing to come out. What happened? I wondered. We were together for many centuries. I always knew I had rivals. There was one in particular she'd always taken a fancy to. Astonished that I was facilitating the fantasy, I was powerless to stop. Who escaped my lips? You wouldn't believe how much I appreciate your taking the time to listen to my story, young man. Most people are way too busy to be bothered with me any more. I was pleased, I admit it. In retrospect, foolish as it sounds, a modest, silly grin appeared on my face, even as I wondered what I would hear next. Not so young, really, I said, but I'll let that pass. So again, if I may be so bold as to ask, who stole dew away from you? He must have been some kind of special guy to get the better of you. I figured a little rebound flattery couldn't do any harm. She was always attracted to the sun, he said. One day she finally made her choice. I was odd man out. We still have a close working relationship, but it's never been the same since. I was touched by his loss. Too bad, I said. I can only imagine how you felt. She said I was too moody, and the sun, well, he's always sunny. That put a wan smile on his face. This was striking too close to home for my taste. So, you had to let her go? How did you adjust? There were many bad times afterwards. Reality became distorted. Touch, sight, even sound were altered. I produced fog so thick in London, even the chimes of Big Ben got bent out of shape. Ahead became behind. Auditory orientation became a shifting polarity. Dare I ask, were those the Jack the Ripper years? Oh, yes, he said. I still feel terrible about that. I spent decades trying to redeem myself. But eventually you did? You've seen what I accomplished, he said. It's been my greatest achievement. A major building block of world culture. Manet, Monet, Degas, and their disciples? I was their inspiration. The Impressionists, I immediately sensed the truth in what he was saying. 
That didn't alter the fact he was cuckoo. But what an engaging spin on reality. Still, I knew time was running short. Well, sorry, I said, but I have to get to the store before it closes. He was looking straight ahead, admiring his work again. I turned to appreciate the view once more in a shared moment of respect for what nature had wrought. When I turned back, he was gone. Not gone in the sense that he mounted his bike and rode off into the night. There was no disturbance in the air. No sense of movement out of the corner of my eye. No sibilant hiss of rubber tires on wet concrete. And certainly no goodbye. No, vanished, as if he'd never been there. He wasn't discernible in either direction, up or down the laneway. He could have disappeared into the fog, I suppose, but surely not that quickly. Unless, of course, the mist was his accomplice, or his to command. I admit to being confused. I continued on my journey, walking to the store where I made my purchases in a distracted manner. The shopkeeper, who knew me moderately well from my many visits, could tell I wasn't my usual self. "'Anything wrong?' he asked. "'No, not really.' I shrugged off my days and returned to the presence. In fact, things are pretty good. I actually smiled for the first time in a long while. I've had a moment, a brush with mystery, an ephemeral encounter. Do you ever have those? Clearly this was dialogue outside the usual I'd-like-a-lottery-ticket-please variety. He looked quizzical, but finally replied, all the time. He was humoring me. Then you're lucky, I said, trying to jolly him along in return. I think we parted friends. The End Thank you for listening to The Melancholy Fog Harvester by Alec Carrick. It's one of my favorite stories by Alec because of its whimsy and its love of nature and the beauty that surrounds us, even in the depth of our sometimes melancholy. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed reading it for you. Let it rot. And now it's time to welcome our deadly friend, Tony Rakestraw, to the show. Tony is an actress, a sculptor, an author, and a professional editor and proofreader. She provides services that let you invest in the quality of your written work, whatever your work may be. She copy edits, she proofreads, and she can work seven days a week with either American or British English. Please welcome Tony to Dead to Rights, the podcast. Let it rot. Hello, Tony. Good morning, and welcome to Dead to Rights. Well, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's my pleasure to have you, because I've known you online for quite a number of years, and uh, also your husband, John Ragstraw. For our listeners who may not know, uh, John and Tony do run. Um, what would you call your, your business? Uh, well, the official name is Ragstraw Book Design. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a website, which is ragstrawbookdesign.com. Um, and mostly we do editing, uh, mm-hmm. some proofreading, mm-hmm. 
we used to do covers and stuff, but that's kind of phased out. Okay, okay. Um, but your own, uh, your books, you refer to them as your TARDIS, which um, I thought that was a brilliant metaphor when I stumbled on that at your website, uh, because books are larger on the inside, and they carry the reader back and forth through wobbly bits of time, just like a TARDIS. Can you tell uh, our readers about a few of your favorite books, why you love them, and um, whether they influenced your work, and if so, how? Uh, yeah, um, I I made a list of a, a couple because that makes it easier for me to remember while we're talking. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, a couple of these are series. Um, I love the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher, uh, which is about um, an urban wizard in modern-day Chicago. And um, he was able to build a wonderful world that still uses everything that we have now. Um, we have places to enter the never-never, which is the world where the Fae live, and they're not nice, cute little things. Okay. <laughs> um, he has to deal with the police department and everything else, you know, just like anybody else would, and it, it really captured my imagination. Okay, and that's Jim Butcher. And what's the name of the yeah. series again? Uh, the Dresden Files. There's, I think, 14 books so far. The Dresden Files, okay. Yes. Um, then, uh, then there's uh, the Poldark books by Winston Graham. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that because of the series running on PBS. I love the series. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. I, I watched the original series way back. Oh, did you? Okay. No, I, I never did. did. Yeah. And, um, in fact, our oldest daughter is named after one of the characters. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Kind of, uh, Morwenna. Morwenna. Okay, yes. I, I, I've seen you refer to Morwenna online. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, so, again, he created a wonderful world for us to be part of, of the late 1700s, early 1800s. Um, there's a 12-book series. I haven't read them all yet. I'm working on it. Um, but the characters, I mean, they they really grab people. Anybody who's watched the series can tell. Mm -hmm. That all the, the basic elements of a good uh, historical romance. You've got the, the dashing rogue hero who returns and finds that things are not the way he thought they were. And he yes. has to start over and... And he falls in love, and then, but he's torn, and you know, you got all of that. Yeah, and, and you've got the historical, factual basis in the mining industry in that part of the world. Yeah, yep. and he really gets into that in the books. You learn more about mining. You learn more about English history in that period of time as it affects the characters. And I, I really, really love these books. I can read them over and over and over mm -hmm. again. <laughs> um, I yeah, I know your passion for, for books comes through loud and clear when I've gotten to know you online. and um, But you've got a lot of different aspects to your life. You're a wife, you're a mother, you've been an actress, you're a sculptor. I, I, I did not know that. And uh, as well as being a writer and a professional editor and designer. And um, I, I just think that you must have absolutely mad organizational skills. And I think other people would really envy you that. How do you 
separate your time into little vials, uh, this much time for that? Well, I wish I was organized. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, I mean, we have to prioritize everything. So um, family life and professional life is what clashes the most. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to have time to work, of course, but um, we have things happening in our family that require a lot of attention. So um, I have multiple calendars. This is my organization. I have one that goes in my desk, stands on my desk, one that goes in my purse, one that's on the wall for the family, and one that is my work calendar. Mm-hmm. And, and not one on your constant. phone? You don't have a calendar on your phone? I mean, the phone one just gets me the most, yeah. Well, I, so I do use Google Calendar, but um, that's just supplementary because my phone drives me crazy. So yes. <laughs> I need it, but it drives me crazy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so every once in a while we have a conflict arise. I have a book due or something, but that's a day that we have a whole lot of appointments. But I really try to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, A lot of people have told me that when they're doing one thing, they feel guilty that they should be doing something else. And uh I know this is a big complaint with parents who are also artists or writers, um, but I think it's something you have to get over, isn't it? It is. It, it doesn't stop it from happening. No. But you have to, you know, like, be kind to yourself. Yes. You know, things happen. Yeah. Um, you have to try and develop a belief, I think, that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in any given moment and give it your all, you know? And as you say, it's not going to stop that feeling from cropping up, but at least it'll give you an answer to the feeling. Exactly, exactly. So I end up spending time working at odd hours. Um, My days are spent running the kids around, and then at night I work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm up very, very late. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And for listeners out there who may be in the sandwich generation, I spent years in that generation taking care of parents, and uh, I miss taking care of them, of course, you know. But uh, it was very, very hard to produce anything during those years, and I would tell myself, well, this is just not the time, because you can't beat yourself up. Exactly. I, I don't find I have a lot of time to write right now because of everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, I My newest thing is, customizing models. So I can do that for five minutes at a time. It's not going to go anywhere. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I don't have to get my head in the game like I do when I'm writing. Yeah. Yeah. Writing, editing, creating books, it does. It takes a really highly streamlined focus. Now, your book, The Titanic Deception, was a great read. I really enjoyed it. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you've also got titles, More Than a Shadow, and The Talking yeah, Board. Short and story. Yeah, these have and got Talking really... Board is collection of short stories. Yes, that's right, yeah. They're great titles, though. I mean, how do you come up with them? Oh, well, uh, I agonize over Titanic Deception for weeks and weeks and weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, nothing was quite right, but that one just had a good ring to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the Talking Board takes its name from the first story. Okay, yeah. And where did the first story get its name? Uh, I know the answer to this, but but tell our listeners. Uh, well, More Than a Shadow um, is about uh, a person who is left by zero, 
and everybody thinks, oh, you know, they're so special, they're, they're wonderful, they fit in all the cute clothes, they're, their lives are fabulous, and it's not mm-hmm. necessarily for every person. Mm-hmm. And she's one that it, it's not perfect for, um, and she feels like she's a shadow. Mm-hmm. So it's her uh, journey of discovery of herself. Yes, yes, I thought it was a fascinating because the grass is always greener on the other side. And exactly. the best <laughs> stories are based on truths that haunt us generation to generation, you know, and that's one of those truths. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, do you and John write independently and then bring your work together, or do you brainstorm together? Uh, we work together on Titanic Deception. Okay. Um, I couldn't have written it without him. He is a mastermind at coming up with stories. He sees them as movies in his head. So mm-hmm. um, there, there wouldn't have... In Titanic Deception, we're, we're kind of going back and forth between being on the Titanic and then in modern day. Mm-hmm. And there would have been no modern day without John. <laughs> okay, okay. So you did the historical research, and he had the twists and turns. Yes. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> For the short stories in Talking Board, we worked independently. I wrote three, he wrote three. Mm -hmm. And you can see the difference in our styles there. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, I'll be talking to John in a future episode, but uh, I wanted to talk to you separately rather than as a couple because you both bring your own art to to this industry. And, um, you know, I I just think it's short shrift to, to, to treat a couple in this industry as one unit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and I know that what John brings to it is so different from what you bring to it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what was one of the most challenging projects that you've worked on as an editor, specifically, not as a writer, but as a, an editor? Oh, uh, there's different types of challenges. Um, some I get are technical challenges. Um, I end up getting a rough draft that really needs more work by the author. Um, sometimes they don't know their uh, technical aspects very well. They're not very good with their punctuation. They're not very good with their paragraphing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes it a challenge, and it, it becomes more of a uh, drudgery. Mm-hmm. You're going through every word. Is this right? Is this Every comma and every apostrophe. Yeah. Yes, oh. I know. I've encountered those ones, too. And... Um, you know, these days our our eyes don't always work that way so easily, so we end up going over and over and over. And that's nothing yeah. to do with, I don't think that's anything to do with our physical eyes. It's the entire world has changed its approach to reading, and we editors are not exempt from that. Um, and one of the exactly. things I try to tell people is break it up. Break it up into small packages. Like, don't have a great big long run-on paragraph that comes at the reader from five different points of view, you know? Oh, yes. I had one that the whole book was one paragraph. Oh, gosh. I've, I've kind of, I know what, I, I'm not going to say. Yeah, I know, I know, what, you're ta- <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> she had a, a decent story to tell. It's just, it, it was a really hard job. Yeah, yeah. One that I'm, I'm working on right now is just a, an absolutely brilliant true story. It's a memoir, and it's, one of those memoirs that really is worthwhile, like it's quite an interesting story. But again, uh, the lady is not a writer. She's never been a writer, and she's the first to admit that. 
And so we are looking at page long paragraphs throughout. And so it's going to be quite the challenge to put it into a book format. But that's digressing. You know, I mean, that's one of the challenges. Um, what's one of the most fun things you've done as an editor again? Oh, I love books that have humor in them. Okay. They keep me entertained while I work. Yes, yes. <laughs> they keep you awake so your eyes don't spin exactly. in your head. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I had, I had one that it was a, a thriller, and the author was so uh, talented at throwing in humorous things throughout the book. It was just such a joy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it tells you something about the writer, doesn't it? You oh, just yeah. you just bet they have fun in their own head a lot of the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, family life. Family life is really something. We all know this, and we love our families. It's what we do everything for. But you've got quite a large family, don't you? We do. We have eight. Wow. I didn't even know it was eight, so I didn't want to presume by leading off with it. What yeah, are some of the... girls, four boys. Four girls and four boys. That's just so balanced. Wow. I know. We got really lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are some of the joys and challenges that family life brings to your art? Well, um, several of them have chronic illness. Oh. So that has brought a lot of challenges in the last few years as things have developed. Um, we spent a lot of time going to specialists all over the state. Mm -hmm. um, but... Things are working out. I mean, in, in a way, that's it's not a totally bad thing because without that, we wouldn't have discovered that we have this thing running through our genes. Okay. Um, but I hate to see them not being able to participate in things that they might want to. Mm -hmm. But on the good side, um, several of them have gotten into art and they're so talented. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Tell me about a couple of the things that your kids are into artistically. Um, well, my oldest daughter uh, does crochet dolls. Mm -hmm. um, people just say, hey, do this character for me, and she creates it. It's amazing to watch the process. That is really neat, yeah. Yeah. And then um, two of my other daughters are really into um, digital art. Mm-hmm. And um, they create the most beautiful, beautiful pictures. Wow. Um, and my youngest is taking up the ukulele. Uh-huh. The boys are into different things. My oldest son is a writer. Um, he does video game reviews, and uh, he goes down to the big video game um, convention that they have in LA every year and interviews people in the business. Oh, so he does interviews. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell him I said not, hi, not please. Not like this. He, he writes them, but um, yeah, he's, he's really excited to do that. Um, and then some of my other boys are you know, discovering their own paths right now. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're, they're a joy. They really are. I mean, I've only got three, but... Uh, Hearing about your eight, I know it's like three times two and a half, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and mine are mine are a lot of fun. I, I, I enjoy everything they do. And our house is always full of music. And uh, there's always something going on, either academically or artistically. It's just, it's a real joy. And it motivates me to do more. I don't know if you have the same experience. Um, 
even as oh, it yeah. takes a lot of our artistic time, when we do have artistic time, it motivates us. Exactly. And they're always getting into new things, and which makes John and I get interested in those things, you know, and, and we try to keep up with what they're doing and, yeah, and yeah. be involved. Before we leave the topic of books, I wanted to ask you about book covers, just because your covers, if anybody goes online, go to Amazon and look for Tony, that's T-O-N-I, and or John Rakestraw, and just check out their covers, because these covers are really striking. How important is a good cover, do you think, to the average writer? Oh, covers are so important. Um, I see really good books with really awful amateur covers, and no one's going to pick them up, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to be engaged with the cover to even pick up the book to read the back. Yeah, that's right. Um, I have to give kudos to my oldest daughter for doing our covers because she just did a fabulous job. Oh, that's great, yeah. Yeah. Um, Another trend that I'm seeing now is that if you're in a certain genre, the cover has to look a certain way, and oh, it just, you know, how many covers can you pick up that has a couple on it? Yes. Or that has a muscular guy on it, or, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I find it boring. I know, I like our, I like our, our artistry, I really enjoy artistry and originality, um, both in the writing yes. and in the cover. Um, I wish yes. I could draw, it's one of my great regrets in life is that I can't draw. I have no graphic ability whatsoever, but I do appreciate a really great graphic uh, oh, picture. There's some very talented cover artists out there, mm-hmm. and um, they do really amazing jobs with designing the artwork and then putting in the words just right and finding mm-hmm. the right font. Yeah. It's the true art form of doing book covers. Yeah. Yeah, and and something that no, you're not going to see anyplace else, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, your editor brain. I need your editor brain for a moment. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask for a tip for new writers that is related to editing, a common editing issue that you see that could just, uh, fixing that issue could really help authors make their work much more presentable. Well, um, as an overall suggestion, I really wish that people would take the time and learn their craft. Yes. Um, Every book should be better than your last, both technically and Mm -hmm. story-wise. Each book should be a learning experience on building your story, your plot, your characterization, but you also have to think about the boring parts, the punctuation, and the Mm -hmm. paragraphing, and the phrasing, and uh, repetition, and Yes. Those things can kill a good story. You know, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention this. I, I generally make it a practice not to mention things that I've seen. This was a long time ago, and I'm hoping I can get away with it. But um, somebody submitted a novel to me, and the first paragraph used one word. I'm not gonna say which word, but it was a color. So think about all your colors. And that color was used seven times in the first paragraph of the novel. And it was not done as an artistic sort of tease or maneuver. It was not done ironically. It was done quite by accident seven times. Yes, yes. 
I mean, to me, that's just inexcusable. That's that's totally inexcusable. Yeah, it's it's so easy to get caught on a phrase or a word, whether it's colorful or not. And yes. <laughs> just use it over and over and over and over until the next one gets in your brain. Yes. And then you use that one over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And you like the way somebody that. used it in a book you read, and so now you're just going to use it all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, learning to see that and recognize that is a great skill. Yes. Um, you can do, with Word, you can do a word search and mm-hmm. find out how many times you've used a word. <laughs> I'm and glad you said is, that. That is a wonderful tool to use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If anybody mentions to you now, uh, I, I, I'm Canadian, so I call this a Canadianism, okay? Uh, because uh-huh. I think every country has their own little kind of signature almost, like um, we love to say that literarily speaking, the Russian poets are dark, you know. Um, Uh Canadians can sometimes be funny or cold, but one of the things we Canadians do is we diminish. We diminish things quite a lot. Um, You've heard it said that Canadians are overly polite all the time, and um, we do it through diminutives, like we're always doing just a little bit more or just a little bit less. I mean, which of those three words, just, little, or bit, do you really need? You don't need any of them. And right. if you're a Canadian writer, I challenge you to search through your document for the word just, little, yes. or bit. Anything that is a diminutive, you don't need that. That's, uh, that's a non, you know, non-essential describer, really. <laughs> yes, and the overword of the word that. That, oh, yes, that's a big oh, one. Maybe that. That is a big one. <laughs> she said ironically. <laughs> uh-huh. That, and that's not the only one. Um, another big one is but. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Quite often, if you're, if you're using but more than once on a page, you probably could have used two sentences instead of one. Yeah, one of the recent trends that really kind of a pet peeve of mine, is starting sentences with and and but. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It happens way too much. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah. It really yeah. does. Yeah. I know, we, we do. We come across these things, but uh, you've hit on some really important ones. Repetitive words, for sure. And uh, yeah. badly begun sentences. Your sentence should start properly, you know. Yeah. It just shows that you know what the heck you're doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see it more in dialogue because that's how people talk. But in your prose, you know, do it right. Yes, yes. And even in your prose, you could maybe get away with a, a sort of a dangling sentence, partial sentence once in a while for effect, yeah. if it's clear to the reader that that is for effect. But if you do it all the time, there's no effect. No. Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. So, Tony, what are you working on now? What's your current project? Um, I'm proofreading right now. Okay. And finishing up an anthology. Okay. Okay. Um, I always have room for more. <laughs> okay. So, our <laughs> listeners, if you're looking for a really polished editor who's been in this business for a long time, look for Tony Rakestra. Look for Rakestra. Is it Rakestra Design? RakestrawBookDesign.com. RakestrawBookDesign.com. And you can also look up Tony Rakestraw on Facebook and reach her that way. 
Tony, what's your what's your Twitter handle? It's just my name. At Tony <laughs> Rakestraw. There you go. See, I knew that, but I wanted to hear you say it. <laughs> That's terrible, I know. <laughs> Anyways, thank you very much, and please say hi to John for me. Oh, I will. I've really appreciated having you on Dead to Rights, and, uh, you know, I I'm looking forward to airing this episode. And thank you for having me. This has been great fun. It really has. Stay on the line for a second because I'm going to chat with you for a second once we're done recording. Sure. I'd like to give a big Dead to Rights thanks to our deadly friend, Tony Rakestra of Rakestra Book Designs. Tony shared with us one really important piece of advice, and that is hone your craft. Make sure that each work you do is better than the one before in some way, even if it's a very small way. And I think that's a really important, uh, a really important piece of advice that we should all take to heart. After all, writing is an art. You can find Dead to Rights at deadtorights.ca or at our Facebook page. Our Twitter handle is at deadtorightspod. We'd love to hear from you at carrickpublishing.com or at our Carrick Publishing Facebook page. You can find me, Donna Carrick, on Twitter at Donna underscore Carrick or at my website, DonnaCarrick.com. If you are a published author and would like to join our listeners on the pod, contact me at CarrickPublishing at Rogers.com and say, schedule me for an interview. I hope you'll join us next week when we interview author Rob Brunet of the hit book Stinking Rich, and we'll also bring you a short story by myself called Dancing with Carol. Our Dead to Rights theme song is Eyes of Gold, composed and performed by Ted Carrick, who also brought us the original story scoring music. Thanks again for joining us, and see you next week. Free, yet it rides. Let it rot.